Uh, welcome to the Evan Roberts Podcast Decade Review Edition. Today, the three local hockey teams, the Rangers, the Islanders, and the Devils. And joining me to take this little stroll down memory lane is a man who does a great job producing the Pharrell on the Bench Show, the wildly popular Pharrell on the Bench Show. And he also hosts one of the most popular Islander podcasts. Maybe it's the most popular Islander podcast. Is that is that an accurate state? The ILC podcast with I, I Mike I think Carver? if you asked some people, they would tell you that that's the case. I don't like to go out there and say that. but well, um, I'm saying it. If you look at some things, you know, there's some charts and graphs that would probably tell you that it is. And there's some, if you ask the fans, I'm sure that they would be willing to make that assessment. Now, you're going to be very fair and balanced as we talk oh, about always all am. You know that. Teams. You know that. All you right. know that I always am. Let's cut right to the chase. Let's go right to 2010. The decade was beginning for the Rangers. And what's weird is that the Rangers in the latter part of the first decade were solid. At the last couple of years, they were making the playoffs a bunch of years in a row. They signed Marion Gabrick during the offseason leading into the 09-10 season. And the expectations were very high because this is a team that had a four-year playoff streak. John Tortorella was the coach. Everybody loved his attitude. They hadn't won anything, but they'd been in the playoffs four straight years. And this was a weird year because this was the year, if you remember, Carver, they start off the year great. They start off the year by you know winning seven out of their first nine games, whatever it was. They close the year strong, but they miss the playoffs on the final day of the year when they lose a shootout to the Philadelphia Flyers. Yeah, they lost a shootout that year. They had a chance to get into it on that that last day. And and that was kind of, Evan, you know, for me, the start of what would become a, a really big run for the Rangers. It didn't end up producing the Stanley Cup, but you started to see the players that would become a huge part of what they did, whether it be Ryan Callahan, whether it be, uh, you know, I think, you know, Henrik was obviously a big part of there. He was really in his prime at that point. Young Henrik. A young Henrik. Uh, you, you know, Dubinsky was a big part of that team who would then become a trade chip for Rick Nash. So you were starting to see guys like that. Girardi was a young player at that point. So, uh, you know, that, that was what they were starting to build there. It's weird looking back, and, you know, one thing you'll see about whenever we go into this decade for all the sports is what player was actually the star of a decade. And to me, Henrik Lundqvist is the biggest star in New York City for the entire decade because he was here the entire time. When you go back to the beginning of this decade, he's 27 years old. You think about him now as the aging goaltender who's probably going to go to the Hall of Fame. At that point, he's an accomplished guy. He's been in the league for four or five years. And right now, we're looking at Henrik kind of hitting his prime at age 27. But at the end of the day, this was... This was a massively disappointing year. I mean, considering what this team had accomplished in the previous four years, I know they hadn't won anything. They hadn't gone on a deep playoff run yet, but the 2010 season was a pretty big disappointment. Right, and they were just coming off losing to the Capitals, I believe, in the playoffs the year before that. Uh, like you said, and you brought up the Lundquist thing. It's funny. Is he the only guy, Evan? You're going to do these, obviously, for every sport. Is he the only guy that played on this, you know, for one New York team the entire decade. It has there, to be him, right? There is another guy. There's, oh, wait, there is one more. You I'm know? sorry, Brett Gardner. No, I, well, you know, Brett Gardner is another one. <laughs> Brett Gardner, <laughs> come on, there you go. You're, I got another one on the Yankees. Go ahead. CC Sabathia. There you go. So CC and Brett Gardner, <laughs> the two guys. But we'd agree, a, Lundquist, for the, for the most part in his decade, as you'll see when we talk Rangers, was at f- close to the top of his game. Oh, absolutely. Close to I the mean, top you, of you talk about he was at the peak, you know, uh, right there at the beginning of the decade, and he got them on deep runs, uh, a couple of Eastern Conference finals, a Stanley Cup uh, uh, appearance against the Kings that year in 2014. So 
He absolutely, I mean, how many times was he uh, in the running for the Vezna at the end of the year, one of the finalists? So he, you're probably right about that. With what he accomplished throughout the entire 10 years, you have to put him there. The Islanders in 2010 featured actually a pretty good young core. They had a teenager named John Tavares, teenage John Tavares. Right. They had Matt Molson. They had Kyle Ocposo, who was very young at the time, Josh Bailey, and they had Rick DiPietro, age 28 years old. Yep. But I think this was the midst of us realizing that that contract wasn't going to work out. He only played eight games in 2010, and it was a, a miserable missed playoff year with Scott Gordon as the head coach. Yeah, and Gordon ended up getting fired uh, the next, I believe he got fired in November of 2010. Gordon would get fired. Yep, the following Jack, year, yep. And then Jack Capuano would take over. But yeah, that was a miserable team. Uh, they had some of the pieces of those young guys that they started building JT very young in his career, Doug Waite, the captain, you know, that that's just, uh, you know, that that's one of the, you're starting to get to that, you know, that point in the late early two thousands, you know, the aughts, you know, the around Oh four to, to 10, where the Islanders were really awful. You know, they, they were really bad during that stretch. And this was kind of the tail end of it, the start of this decade. The Devils in 2010 featured a blockbuster trade in February. They make the trade for Ilya Kovalchuk, which created many layers as the years went on. They brought back Jacques Lemaire as their head coach going into the season. And you still had Marty Brodeur playing just about every game. It was amazing. 37 years old, Hall of Famer in 2010. He starts and plays in 77 of the 82 games as the Devils make the playoffs for an insane 13th consecutive season. They got knocked out in the first round by Philadelphia. And I know they would have the run a few years later, which we'll get to the deep run into the Stanley Cup Finals. But in a way, this felt like we were really reaching the end of this incredible Martin Brodeur run that they were on. Yeah, and he would last a couple of more years. We'll get to it. But he, he hung on there for a few seasons after that. I think it was the 13-14 is going to be his last year. But when you talk about the vintage Martin Brodeur, you're right there is where it starts to uh, be the end of it. Because that's when he's still, like you said, he's playing 60 plus, you know, high 60, low 70 games per year which you don't see in the NH today's NHL has completely changed that the way the teams use goaltenders. And he was still at that workhorse level, even at 37. And that was kind of towards the end. You know, when you start bringing up names like Jacques Lemaire and Marty Brodeur, uh, that devil run, Evan, it lasted a really long time. Um, you know, it started the year that they lost to the Rangers when the Rangers won the cup in 94 and they ended up winning the cup the following year. And it lasted for a long time. And that season that you're talking about right there is where it, kind of started to come to the end. 2011 Rangers, they get back into the postseason. They get knocked out in the first round by the Washington Capitals. They get another uh, very strong season out of Henrik, Henrik Lundqvist. Marty Baron was his backup. Um, Gabrick in year two, a little bit better than the year before. The Kind of the same guys around. Sean Avery still on this team. Uh, Ryan Callahan, Brandon Dubinsky. What do you remember a lot about that 11 Ranger team? Yeah. You know, the 11 Ranger team, I think that that was also Chris Drury's last year. If I, if I remember correctly, he got bought out the year after that. Um, you know, they were, uh, they, you know, they were a decent team. Uh, they just snuck into the playoffs, right? They were the eight seed that year and they played fairly well. And Dubinsky had, a, is that the year Dubinsky had a monster year? I think Dubinsky had like 50, 50 something points that year, I think for them. Gabrick had a good year. Stepan kind of started to show up and, and come into his own. And, um, 
you know, once again, they I, did they play the Capitals in the playoffs again no, that yeah, year? Yeah, got knocked out in the first round. But so they were that, back in the playoffs at least fifth they time They were back in, in the years. playoffs but ended up playing. The, so the Capitals knocked them out two times in a row before they would then go on a run of knocking the Capitals out of yes. the playoffs a whole bunch of times. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. The 2011 Islanders, you mentioned it before. Gordon's fired. Capuano takes over. They had a 10-game losing streak in the midst of this season, and that was when Gordon was That was in was November, fired. right? Yeah. Because yes. no, November, the, one of the things about these Islander teams from the early part of this decade was they would always Evan go on some ungodly losing streak from like <laughs> late October to early December. You could always lock it in that the Islanders would lose 11 out of 12 or something like that, and it would completely torpedo their season. That year it happened to them. Uh, Scott Gordon gets fired. Jack Capuano comes in and ends up being the coach for a fairly long time in terms of New York sports in this decade. He ends up taking over for a while. I was going to bring this up because now the modern day Islanders, we look at Barry Trotz as probably, no, definitely the best coach in the National Hockey League. No, no doubt. We've talked about this. But Jack had a pretty good run. I mean, I know it's easy to kind of forget about it, but he made the playoffs three times. What did you think when they initially hired him? What was the thought when they, I'm sure you were just thrilled to see Gordon gone there in the midst of this losing streak, but what was that initial impression of Capuano? Well, it was typical Islanders because for a long time, and this goes all the way up until they just hired Trotz, uh, you know, two summers ago is that, you know, the Islanders were always a team that hired a coach that either had zero experience or, you know, basically none at all, who they weren't gonna have to pay a lot of money to, and Jack Capuano took over, uh, had no head coaching experience really whatsoever, and they played pretty spunky under him. You know, they 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 finished the season okay. They, you know, they were Tavares and Molson and PA Parento had a thing going. They, the three of them, led the team in scoring. And and I guess that you know, and Charles Wong was very loyal to people, and so was Garth Snow. And Garth Snow and Jack Capuano were buddies, as has been well documented over the last ten years. So, uh, you know, it was an easy move for Garth and Charles Wong to just say, you know what? Jack's going to keep the job. He'll be the coach next year. Right after that season ended, it was in the middle of August. There was a public referendum for a new $400 million Nassau Coliseum. There would also be a minor league baseball park. The voters rejected it. When, when this happened was the thought, Oh my God, they're going to end up long Island. I'm trying to remember back to what I was thinking eight years ago when this was happening, but when that public referendum went down, what was the thought? Yeah, you know, I, I remember it well. Uh, I remember the push to try to get people to get out and vote for it. You know, this was the mark where, um, you know, this was the last chance to get something done at that site. Uh, you knew if this wasn't going to work, that they were never going to be there long term. The last ditch effort, you could say, to make this a place where the Islanders were going to be home uh, like it had been since their inception. And I remember that day, just it was such a, you know how these things always turn out, Evan. It just oh, becomes yeah. politics. And even on the fan, I remember... Charles Wong uh, basically coming on with Mike, you know, trying to sell the thing to the voters. And then, of course, all the Democratic opposition had to come on and, uh, you know, all the politicians and just start blasting the whole thing. And none of the other politicians on the other side came to Charles Wong's defense. And, you know, they didn't go out on on talk shows or do anything and try to help. And Charles was kind of left on a boat by himself. And uh, the boat sank. Uh, the, The thing lost. And it was a tough day for Islander fans, and that's when the whole Barclays Center started to get into motion. Yeah, well, and we'll, we'll get to that in a couple yes, years. Yes, yes, we will. The, the Devils' following season, there were so many intriguing things from that offseason leading into what was one of the most bizarre hockey seasons in 2011. First of all, 
Jacques Lemaire announces he's retiring. So his second stint with the Devils is done. John McClain's going to be the head coach. Now, what ends up <laughs> happening is that the Devils get off to a 9-22-2 start. <sighs> McClain is fired, and Jacques Lemaire comes back right. to take over again. So that's weird thing number one. And weird thing number two, which I think is still legendary, is they make that trade for Ilya Kovalchuk a year earlier, and now Lou is intent on re-signing him. So initially, they agree to a 17-year, $102 million contract. That contract is rejected. The <laughs> NHL says they were trying to <laughs> circumvent the cap. And they end up settling for a 15-year, $100 million contract. So I think those two things were incredible. Jacques retiring, oh wait, he's back. And the Devils work out these two insane contracts to re-sign Ilya Kovalchuk. Yeah, this, this is where the seeds start. Uh, Evan for what becomes a one of the really rough runs in devil history. It really does. And maybe the roughest these past uh, seven, eight, nine years um, that Kovalchuk contract was awful as we know. And the hard part about the Kovalchuk contract, as we would find out um, the next, you know, coming up soon is, is that they basically were picking between Kovalchuk and Zach Parisi. You know, they, they it weren't turned gonna, out to be the case. Yeah. They weren't going to be able to keep both of them. And Lou made the big deal. It's something that Lou, you know, Lou, in all those devil runs, did he ever acquire, like, the biggest name at the deadline? He never really did up until that Kovalchuk trade. And him making that deal, wanting to solidify it, give him a long-term contract, they were essentially picking Kovalchuk over Parisi. I'll never forget it. Uh, it was the wrong move, I thought. You know Parisi. I mean, he was the captain. Yeah. He was Mr. You know, Mr. Devil at that time, taking over the that, that moniker from uh, Kenny Danico back in the day, Mr. Devil. And that's what Parisi was. And all of a sudden, they hand Kovalchuk a lot of money. We'll get to what happens, of course, later on, where, they, where the franchise really takes the wrong turn with him uh, completely ripping the bag out from underneath him. But uh, that Kovalchuk deal... 17-year, 102 that gets turned down, then they switch it over to the 15 for 100. That, devil, that, Evan, to me, was the beginning of the end to what would turn out to be a tough run for the Devils. They missed the playoffs that year, which was incredibly rare. They never missed the playoffs. We mentioned that they started 9-22-2. They had a stretch in which they went 22-3-2 to get back into the playoff race. That's what I'm talking about. This is one of the weirdest seasons ever. They get off to this horrific start. They have this great run. They actually got within a few points of actually making the playoffs. They ended up falling short. Parisi missed most of the season that year. He was hit, uh, was hurt. Marty Brodeur missed a big chunk of the year. Johan Hedberg filled in. And so it was a very uneven, bizarre devil season. I want to get to the Islanders in 2012 because for obvious reasons, the Devils and Rangers are very connected in yes. 2012. They have a lot of connections. In 2012, it's the first full year of Jack Capuano. Nabokov actually has a pretty good year in goal. DiPietro, again, gives you like five minutes of playing. You see him for a few minutes, and then he's gone, and another year of missing the playoffs. What jumps out at you about 2012 for You the know, Islanders? it's kind of, for me, Evan, it's one of those, like, uh, it's one of those years that you just completely uh, kind of throw to the side. Like, yeah. there wasn't anything that spectacular about that year. You know, Nabokov coming over because that was a drama in itself, getting of getting Nabokov to, to become a New York Islander. They had acquired his rights from San Jose. He didn't want to play for them. It was, you know, that it was more drama. You know, that was kind of what went on that year. Uh, Mark Streit was the captain that year, and I think they ended up trading him at the deadline, if I, if I remember if that was the season. I'm pretty sure it was. They traded Streit after he had became the captain when, when uh, Waite retired. DP kind of, you know, got hurt, and that was it for him after that. It was kind of a lost, um, 
you know, the last one of this decade where it was kind of a lost, nothing happening with the Islanders type of deal. And 2012 would turn out to be a pretty historic season in this town. First of all, Henrik Lundqvist had probably his best season of his career. One of Esne's only won one. It happened in 2012. The Rangers had an outstanding regular season at 109 points. They and were really, that core came together. Gabrick had a huge year. And they, 40 goals that year, right? I yeah. think Gabrick had 40 goals that year. Yeah, which Ranger fans forgot about during the playoffs when they complained right. about him. Right. But Brad Richards was signing with well, Big they Deal. they gave him a ton of money that offseason going into that year. Brad yeah, and, and you know, so they add him, and that was like the big sexy move, which is kind of common from the early part of this decade between Gabrick and Brad Richards. A year later, they're going to trade for Rick Nash, which we'll get to. That was kind of a part of what the Rangers would do because they were never a big-time scoring team. They would win because of their defense and their goaltender. And I always thought, doing radio shows around here, that was the number one complaint from Ranger fans. They, they didn't a, score enough. Yeah, they need that a big-time <laughs> goal scorer. And they added one. I mean, Gabrick scored 40 goals that year. That was his best year as a Ranger. No doubt. Uh, Gabrick's best year, without question. Well, it was just, in every way, a great year for this team. Lundqvist, we mentioned, wins the Vezina. Gabrick has the 40-goal season, and they go to the playoffs. And it wasn't even their best regular season of the decade. Right. It was just crazy. <laughs> it wasn't. And you're right. As what happened a couple of years later. But... In the postseason, a part of, you know, when I think of Lundqvist and I think of the great career he had with this team, you know, you could think about the stats, you could think about the wins, you could think about the playoff appearances. Obviously, you're not going to think about a cup championship, and I, I don't mean that as a dig. It's just a reality. You know, Marty has that. It's but Patrick he, Ewing. Yeah, it really it's, is. It, it, it is so weird how their two careers, Evan, are so similar. You know, both playing at the Garden. I mean, we know that Ewing ended up uh, playing in Seattle, you know, at the yeah. end or whatever. Listen, we know Patrick Ewing, his career is a Nick, uh, you know, an NBA finals appearance in, in 94 that of course went wrong. Uh, Henrik Lundqvist with a, with a Stanley cup final appearance against the Kings and this, this series against the devils, which the Rangers were the much better team, Evan, in this series. But, but think about how they got there. And this is what I think about with Lundqvist. How many game sevens did yeah. Henrik Lundqvist not only win? And by the way, the answer to that question in this decade, the Rangers played seven game sevens. Yeah. And they, they played won a ton of game sevens in this decade. Seven of them. And they won six of them. And that stretch began right here uh, in that first round series against Ottawa. They were down three games to two. Let's think about that. The New York Rangers to the, after this. To, to, to the eight-seeded yeah. Senators that yeah. year, Ev. That was not a good Senator team, and they fought the Rangers for seven games. But give the Rangers credit. They won a game six on the road where Lundqvist played great, and they won a game seven at the Garden where he only gave up one goal. Won a two-to-one game seven. Yeah. And then in the following series, the Washington Capitals, they would certainly turn out to be a bane in the existence of the Capitals. They had to win a, another game seven by that same score, two-to-one. Lundqvist won a triple overtime game in that series in Washington. So that was a crazy game, that triple overtime. Did Gabrick get the winner in that game? I'm pretty uh, sure that he did. I'd have to, off the top of my head, I feel like Gabrick won that game. I have the answer. Do you want me to tell you the answer? Sure. Was it Gabrick? Gabrick? It was Gabrick. Nah, there listen, you go. You, know you told me I wasn't going to be partial. I don't know my Ranger <laughs> and Devil stuff. Come on, Evan. But I, you know, that was an incredible run. They win back-to-back game sevens. They get this series to face the New Jersey Devils in which you're right. The, the Rangers were the better team. They were the better team. I mean, the Devils were on a great run themselves. Don't get me wrong. They only they, they won one game seven in the first round against Florida. They beat Philadelphia in five, and it set up this 
this incredible series between the Rangers and Devils where they had faced each other so many times over the last 15 years. Obviously, 1994 jumps out of people, but even because, in that... Because, because that meeting in the East Finals again like this is what... I remember oh. all those comparisons that year. Of course, but if you think about it, they faced each other in 06, they faced each other in 08. Both of those, I think, were in the first round. It yes. wasn't the conference finals, but there was so much anticipation. I mean, to put in perspective how big of a deal it was... Chernoff even allowed me to do a show from Prudential Center. <laughs> I did that, a, that says it all. I did a hockey show out for that series, but it was it was so exciting. And you're right. The Rangers were the better team. They were up in that series 2-1, and they lost three in a row to the Devils. Yep. And that's, I remember the overtime win. Devils win that, clinched that series in an overtime winner, I believe, in game six. If I'm just trying to remember off the top of my they head. They won that series on a game-winning goal, on a walk-off, yes. if you will. By Adam Henrique. There you go. That's right. Adam Henrique with the walk-off in that series. And to Adam Henrique's credit, he also scored the game-winning goal in Game 7 of their first-round series against the Florida Panthers. that was a big playoff. That's where Adam Henrique kind of really... Uh, made a name for himself that, that big, his big breakout was that playoff run for the devils. Yeah. And they, and the devils were down three games to two in that first round of series too. Zajac scored the winner in game six. That's how they came back and won that Pete DeBoer, by the way, is now the head coach of the New Jersey devils. Yes. They hired him. And this was the final year of Zach Parisi's contract. So you had that hanging over their head. The devils were the six seed. So going in, the expectations were the Rangers better win this. And, and that was the feeling I got. I remember doing shows at the time, the Devil fan was excited to be there. I think they knew it was towards the end of the Marty run, but the expectations did not have them getting to this point. For the Rangers, it was, could this be 1994 all over again? They felt like huge favorites going into that series. Yeah, this was a little magic carpet ride for the Devils that year. They were the sixth seed, I believe. They played the Panthers, like you said, in the first round, and and they had a little run there to get it themselves to the finals against the Kings, and, and this was a terrible job. This was... One of those, uh, this was the beginning of the end for Torts. You know, I know he didn't, he wasn't done then, but this was like the first brick out of the wall for the John Tortorella era with the Rangers was him losing this series to the Devils because they were a much better team than the Devils that year, Evan. Yeah, but you know, you know what's crazy about that? It's freaking hockey. I mean, I know, a, but still. Best, they almost lost in the first round of Ottawa. The Devils almost lost in the first round of Florida. I mean, uh, crazy crap happens. I know that it happens, but still, you but you, you see, the thing is, you didn't know at the time that the Rangers would once again, uh, you know, they would be, they'd win a president's trophy. Now that stuff was more, uh, that was the Elaine Vigneault year, which we'll get right. to, but you know, uh, it's just, uh, he loses. I think it was, they beat the caps. They lost to the Bruins the next year. And that's when torts was out after that. But you know, you're there every year, Evan, you gotta, you gotta win well, it. You well, gotta win it at one time. And you're playing your biggest rival who you're better than you got to win that series. Well, if you're the Rangers as a, as a hockey fan going into that series, you fully expected the Rangers to win that. Series? I thought the Rangers were going to be the devils that year. Yeah. Yeah. Rangers were the best team in the East that year. Well, they were the, excellent. And the devils get to the cup finals. They win that series. They're against the Los Angeles Kings and they lost the first two games in overtime. I, I think they lost the first two games in overtime at home. Yeah, and they actually um, trailed 3-0 in yes, that because series. because the Kings were the eighth seed out of the West that year. That was <laughs> yeah. the first of the two King Cups. Where the, and not only were the Kings the eighth seed that year, Evan, they ran through everybody. Yes. I mean, yeah. they, they just smoked everybody to the Stanley Cup Finals. And then the Devils, of course, uh, you know, it took them six games to beat them. But the Kings were a machine that year. And that was during the time of the early part of this decade was dominated by the Blackhawks and the Kings. Yeah. They won five of the Cups. Uh, you know, three for the Hawks, two for the Kings. And, and those were the two best teams in hockey for that stretch before the Penguins would then win those back-to-backs and get, and bring it back to the East. So that was also a time in the Rangers and the Devils both 
had to play the Kings yes. in the Stanley Cup. They finals. both had their crack at it. Devils were down 3-0 in that series, actually won the next two before getting absolutely destroyed in game six. Right. And they lost the Stanley Cup. And as you were talking about, uh, that was it. And I don't that know if, it, did, did Devil fans get that sense at the moment? I know they knew Zach Parise, he's a free agent. There was a good chance they were going to lose him. But was there that sense with the age of Marty Brodeur that, boy, this is their last gasp of success? Yeah, you know, I, I think that it was probably the, the next year, maybe, because, you know, you're starting to get to the point now. Parisi leaves. You've got the big, uh, the big contract to Kovalchuk. Right. The following year, uh, I believe it's after the lockout season, which we're going to get to now, you have the lockout shortened year, 2013, and that next summer is when the really big changes start to happen in the Devil organization because that's when Kovey uh, screws them and leaves and goes back to the KHL, and they make the Corey Schneider trade to bring him in, the eventual successor to Brodeur. So that's when, but that, but the Parisi thing is the Devils were never the same when Parisi walked out the door and went well, to Minnesota. Let's get to that because that's what happens during the offseason. Now, the offseason features a lockout, and we end up having a a shortened 2013 season. So coincidentally, it seems when the Rangers and Devils play in a conference finals, the following yes, year, there needs that to happened be in 95 too. <laughs> right, there needs to be a work stoppage. <laughs> it's crazy, which is exactly what happened then. So we get this work stoppage. Zach Parise ends up leaving and goes to the Minnesota wild. Was there that, that sense that he was going to leave though? I think there was, it was Mr. No, Devil. I, like you I, said, I, I, but, but I think that it was out there, Evan. And I remember this, that you knew that Minnesota was going to be hot for him because that was, of course, where he was from. He was from Minnesota, and you knew that they, they were going to be throwing big money around, and you knew that the Devils weren't going to be able to pay two guys that amount of money, and they had just given Kovalchuk all that cash. It, and you know Lou, you know Lou's probably looking at the numbers, and they're looking at, man, if we pay both of these guys, how are we going to have any other players? And, and I think that they, if I, it's hard for me to remember, Evan, if they even offer, I'm sure they made him an offer, but the offer was nowhere near what he was going to get from Minnesota because he got huge money from yep. Minnesota and a lot of years right before they, that was uh, right before they made the change with uh, the, the, the limit on how many years you could give on the contracts. So, so he got a lot of, a lot of money from Minnesota. So they lose Parisi to Minnesota as the lockouts going on. Kovalchuk goes to play in Russia. And right. I don't know if that was a warning sign to people, but <laughs> yeah, it should have been. <laughs> it should have been because Kovalchuk comes back. He's delayed in returning after the lockout. Comes back, plays. The Devils have a very mediocre year. They miss the playoffs, and that's when Kovalchuk says, "Yeah, I want to go back. I want to go back to Russia." And I don't know if it was a financial decision, if it was a homesick reason, whatever the reason was, or the true reason was. Uh, that was a game-changing moment because, as you mentioned earlier, they make the decision to give him this mega contract. He decides to walk away and leaves the NHL for six years. Obviously, he recently came back, but the bulk of his 30s, which could have been his prime playing for the New Jersey Devils, who knows how different the fortunes are, it's spent not playing in the National Hockey League. Yeah, you know what, Evan? One of the most gutless moves to this day that I've ever seen a player do was Kovalchuk, what he did to the Devils that year. I, I just... I mean, I've heard some stories uh, that it's not, that's not the way it seems that there, you know, uh, it didn't go down that way, but let, let's just say how it looks on the surface. He completely sandbagged them. He left them thinking that they were going to have a marquee player for a few years. And, and this was just a year after they had not, you know, given a guy who was their star also, Zach Parisi, the money, uh, he really hurt that organization with what he did. And 
And um, I, I've always thought that, you know, Kovalchuk, if I was a Devil fan, I'd absolutely hate that guy for yes. the rest of my life. And they do, because when he yes. eventually came back six years later, yeah. every time he touched the puck or yeah, even he looked the at business. the puck, he, he got he, the business. Just a horrible job by him. Uh, goes over there to the beer league, over there the KHL, yep. which is such a joke league. And um, it's just a terrible thing what he did to the Devils that year. 2013 for the New York Islanders. They are buried. Return to glory. Well, there <laughs> th- was a return, but in March, I don't think you thought there was a return. Yeah. They were sitting in 12th place in late March and then went on and this. And things were very tight. I know you said it, it sounds bad that they were in 12th in late March, but you got to remember because it was the lockout was season, there's only 48 games. games right. So. Right. You know, the, the, the gap wasn't that wide. You know, it, you could have a hot couple of weeks like they did, and you could jump all those teams because with the, with the uh, lower amount of games, it was easier to make some ground up. And that's exactly what they did. They got points in 14 of their last yeah. 15 games, made the postseason. It set up a first-round matchup with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And what was the feeling and the sense, a return to glory, as you say, returning yeah. to the postseason? Well, they hadn't been there in a while. Yeah, no, I know. It's, it's a big deal. I mean, before that, the last time they had been in the playoffs was 2007. Yeah. It was a long time ago. I mean, we're and, talking- this was, and this was Tavares' first year in the playoffs. This was a, a really big deal. The first playoff games for John Tavares, you know, your franchise player, he finally is going to get a, a taste of playoff experience. And they had some young guys like Kyle Oposo and, and Matt Molson, they had all these guys that had, they had been building, Josh Bailey, and now finally these guys are all going to play their first playoff games. It was a big moment for them. I, I actually was in the building for game six at the Nassau Coliseum. They were down 3-2 in that series. Tough loss. It was, it was a brutal loss, mainly because they had a third-period lead. They yeah, actually the, the were Penguins, up. The Penguins were a, machi- were a machine in that lockout season. I believe they, they had the most points in the East by a ton um, I actually just brought it up now. They had 72 points. Montreal was second with 63. So in the lockout shortened year there, they were 36 and 12, the Penguins, during that 48-game season. No, so. And that's why I'm sure you didn't go in thinking they were going to win no, the series. No, you didn't. I, I think that when, you, when you're a team that hasn't been to the playoffs in, in a long time like the Islanders were in that year, and you're playing the number one seed and you've just gotten into the playoffs, you know, there's, a, there's definitely a feel of happy to be here type of stuff. And they uh, and the Islanders, to be fair, I mean, they gave some moments in that series. Yeah. Uh, they chased Mark Andre Fleury. They they made his life a, a torture at the Nassau Coliseum. Uh, Kyle Poso had a great series. Travis Hamannick had a great series. There was a lot of things that really had you pumped to be an Islander fan, even though they lost that series in six. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember being in the building that night. Tavares f- scored the first goal of the game. The place was moving. It was electric. Oh. Grabner had given them the lead in the third period, and they were, you know, five minutes away from forcing, forcing a game seven. A game seven. <laughs> and obviously that didn't happen. Brooks Orpik scored the game winner in overtime, but the place was rocking. I mean, that's yeah. one thing about the Coliseum, man. It, and we're talking about the old Coliseum, not the right. new before the one. Before what they've done to it now, which has <laughs> put a couple of things in there. It, it's still got a good sound to it, as we saw last year against the Penguins in the first round. But uh, nothing beats that old barn. 2013 for the Rangers in the lockout shortened season. First of all, they trade for Rick Nash, which was something Ranger it was growing accustomed to, as we mentioned. They traded for him during the summer before the yes. lockout happened. Right before the lockout, lockout happened. So his first year with the Rangers is the 2012, really just the and 2013 didn't it, And didn't season. it seem like, Evan, at the time, and, and I remember you guys, I think you and Joe had like... Um, you, you, even you guys that that was, this was in mid August. This trade happened. You guys had Darren Dreger on. You guys had, you were so into this oh, Rick yeah. Nash trade in the yeah. middle of August. I remember it so well. And how long did we talk about, 
a Rick Nash trade Forever. for the Rangers. It seemed like two years this went on yeah. that Columbus and the Rangers were trying to get together on this deal. That was, I think, what made it such a big deal that we were so sick of talking about the rumors. What do they have to bro, give up to get Rick Nash? they're finally getting this guy, bro. We've been listening <laughs> to this for years. Just bring him here. And they got him. And they got him. <laughs> and the Rangers continue. We, we talk about all the game sevens that they were in. They beat the Washington Capitals at Game 7. They lost to the Boston Bruins in 5. So, again, a, a decent postseason run where they get to the second round of the playoffs. But yeah, not decent enough. But not decent <laughs> enough because John Tortorella's fired at the end of the year. And I do remember that Tortorella was one of those figures where there was a lot of Ranger fans that liked him, but there was a lot of Ranger fans that hated him. There was him. a good split on Tortorella, yeah. I feel like. you, And it was either... And he was one of those polarizing figures. You either absolutely love torts. You love the fire. You love everything that he does. And then there was, like you said, there was a batch of fans that hated this guy. They didn't like the style of play. They didn't like the two, one games, right. Evan. You really, they didn't score enough Blocking, goals under his system. Bodies hitting the, the pucks. Too, too many, yeah. Exactly. So uh, there was, there was a divide on John Tortorella. And even since he's left the Rangers, he's gone on. Uh, you know, to, to bring that same style and system. You saw what he did with the Blue Jackets last year. They go, they knock out the, the President's Trophy win in Tampa Bay Lightning in the first round, playing that style, the same style that the Rangers were playing back in the days that he coached them. So Tortorella is still doing his thing. His system has kind of lasted on here in the NHL. No, it is. It, I think, you know, just watching him and watching his interaction with the media and the way fans thought about him, it was just time. That's really what it came down yeah. to. It was time. He had been there for a few years. You have a team that's at a championship level or you think is at a championship level that has the talent to win a title and it's and they just have two or three years in a row where you think you're good enough, but it just didn't quite happen. And you know the old saying, you know, it's hard to change the players. So they, uh, you know, they, let's try something different behind so the bench. So they bring in a coach and you talk about bringing something different. They brought in something oh, yeah. different. I mean, <laughs> Elaine Vigneault was very, very different than John Tortorello. And I think the, the feeling at the time was that it was a good move because of that difference. Because well, he was of the coming off the, that he had too. the success that he had in Vancouver, where he brought the Canucks to a cup final. Yeah. And, and I laughed at this at first because I thought that Vigneault did a bad job with the Canucks, uh, Evan. I, I thought that he cost them a Stanley Cup championship against the Bruins that year. I didn't think that he was a good in-game coach, things like that. One thing that Elaine Vigneault was really good at, and you saw it that first year with the Rangers, he's uh, the first two years, really, he is a good coach. When he first gets to a team, they really like him and they play really well because in Vancouver, his first couple of years, the Rangers first couple of years, you look at now, this is his first year with the Philadelphia Flyers this year, and they are playing really good hockey after a couple of bad right. years. So one thing Elaine Vigneault does bring to you is the, the, just that sense in the room of calmness and, and, and the team comes out and plays well. You know, Rick Nash as a New York Ranger was a disappointment for the most part. And I Depends think who you ask. Well, I, I, I heard there it are because, Ranger fans, Evan, who swear by Rick Nash. No, no. And I'm look I, watching him and trying to be fair about it. I don't think Rick Nash was a bad New York Ranger by any stretch. But what I think is that they saw a guy in Columbus who could score 40 goals a year. Yep. That's what they saw. And when he was a New York Ranger, he had one really big year. But that year, the year we're talking about right now, 2014, he scored 26 goals. And yeah. I think to a lot of Ranger fans, that wasn't enough. So 
No, when you look at the totality of his Ranger career, I don't think he was a bust. I don't think he was a bad Ranger, but I think to a lot of Ranger fans, their expectation when they made that trade during the summer before the lockout is they're getting this big-time goal score. And I think they felt the same way about Gabrick, even though Gabrick had some pretty good years with the Rangers, too. I mean, you can't say those guys were busts. Right. Gabrick had some big years for them, but never as big as he had, it seemed like, aside from the 40-goal year. You know, he was a little more consistent, you could say, with the goal tally when he was in Minnesota before he came to the Rangers. The same thing with Rick Nash. You know, he was... His numbers were a lot bigger in Columbus than they were with the Rangers. But we also have to remember, Evan, what were you just talking about with the style that this team was playing? They were not playing five, four games. They just were not. That was not the way that this Ranger team, even when Vigneault came in those first couple years, I'm not saying they played the exact same style as John Tortorella, but they were still playing a lot of 3-2, 2-1 games. And remember, they decided to trade Marion Gabrick during the offseason of 2013. So as they begin this 2014 season, Gabrick is out. Nash is beginning his second year here. Elaine Vigneault is the head coach. And they also brought Derek Broussard in, too. Derek Broussard. They made a lot of good under-the-radar moves, too. And they also decided to make a very big decision, a decision that the Rangers are still feeling to this day. They signed Henrik Lundqvist to a seven-year contract extension. And there's one caller, one really <laughs> good Ranger fan, who I, I text now. He's become almost a friend, Kevin New Canaan, who has always hated Henrik Lundqvist <laughs> hated the guy. And when they signed Henrik Lundqvist, I think the moment the ink was dry, he became kind of a, I don't know if you call it a Henrik Lundqvist truther, if you will, <laughs> a guy that says, yeah, he's good, but he's not worth it. Yeah, he's good, but Cam Talbot. I mean, right. And what's uh, <laughs> funny is that year in 2014, the year we are building up towards, because it's a pretty big year in Ranger history. Cam Talbot was tremendous. Like he whatever, really well. whatever he played, he had a, he had an under two goals against. Or he was a- excellent that year. So it coincided perfectly. Lundqvist, who at the time is not old by any stretch, I think he was thirty two years old, thirty one years old at the right. time. I don't think there's any issue giving you know this future Hall of Famer, this guy that's already won a bunch of Game Sevens, a guy that's won a Vezina, a guy that's got a goals against average in the low twos. I don't think there was anything really wrong with giving him that extension, but there was this. Hey, Cam Talbot would be a lot cheaper. What did you think of the Lundquist extension? I know he still has it. He's still signed to it. The no movement clause, his age. But at the time, it seemed like a no-brainer, right? It's one of those contracts that you pay to a player who has been with you his entire career, and you anticipate that he is going to play his entire career with you. Um, You look at deals now, Evan. We'll just stay in the NHL because that's obviously what we're doing. When guys sign these seven- and eight-year deals now in the NHL, you know that you're getting, you're not going to get it on the last two or three years of those deals. You just know that you're not yep. going to get, you know, the last couple years of that deal, it's not going to be great. Uh, it's just the way that the league is. Cause a lot of these guys don't get to UFA now until they're 26, 27. And by the, and if you're signing guys to seven, eight year deals at that point, you know, you're looking into the 35, 36 year old range. So, um, and I get Lundqvist was a little bit older when they gave him that deal. Um, but this is a guy who was the face of the franchise greatest goaltender in franchise history. And at the time was still one of the best goaltenders in the national hockey league. So it's hard to say, I wish that they didn't do all that, you know? So this season they began, the Rangers began with a nine game road trip, right? Because they were renovating the garden. Yes. And they started three and six. I think we all figured that. There was a couple things in this Ranger regular season that kind of stick out. And one is you're right. They had the, 
the long road trip to start the year, which they didn't play that poorly. And if I, if I remember correctly, did well, they I did mean, all they, right on that road trip, right? They started three, three and six, they three started and six. three and six. I mean, you could three argue that's not that terrible when you're playing nine freaking games on the road, but, and that also was the year that this ties into all three teams that they played the two games at Yankee stadium. Yes. A series that kind of pissed me off because <laughs> they decided that the Rangers should play all of the games. And that well, the Islanders... you know what the deal was here, Evan. And this is the same thing like when the Rangers played at City Field a couple years ago and they weren't the home team. The Buffalo Sabres were the home team at City Field in the Winter Classic because the Rangers are not allowed to be the home team anywhere but Madison Square Garden. Yes. That is just, you know, it's one of those things that you just talked about by, a lot when the Sabre thing happened. And by the way, the Rangers won both games. Right. The Rangers won both attention. games, so they wanted to play a couple of games. That, and if you remember, Evan, that was a crazy week. That was the same week that the Super Bowl was here in New York. Yeah. So you had everybody in Midtown at Radio Row, and things are going on. Super Bowl is going to be played at MetLife Stadium that Sunday. And the NHL, you know, smartly or not smartly, Schedules these two games at Yankee Stadium the same week that the Super Bowl is in town. Now, the Sunday game was the devil game. That was on national TV. Right. And then they bury the Ranger Islander game yes. on a Tuesday night a Tuesday, at 7 right. o'clock. You yeah. couldn't feel your hands, your toes, or anything. It had to be about 15 degrees out. Yeah, that's true. What a, what a crazy regular season. Nine road games, the stadium And we didn't series. even get to the huge trade that they make at the deadline. Yeah, well, let's get to it. What'd you think? Because that was one of, to still to this day, Evan, one of the most talked about and polarizing trades that the Rangers have ever made. And that of course was Ryan Callahan to Tampa for the, you know, towards the end of his career, Martin San Louis. What did you think at the time of that deal? Now, St. Louis, if you remember pretty much forced his way here, he only wanted to play. Yeah, he would, not, New give, York he would not go anywhere else. He right. only wanted to come to Broadway and the Rangers had to give up and they gave up their captain. And uh, look, when you talk about pure offensive talent, Evan, I think we all know that Martin San Louis, even at that point of his career, uh, was a, a much better offensive player than Ryan Callahan was. But Ryan Callahan gave you heart. He gave you grit. He, maybe he didn't fill the, fill the goal column that much, but you knew that he would score a big goal or two for you when you got to the playoffs, as he had those past couple of years he, for the Rangers. Yeah, he was a big part of that core all the way back to 07. I think what also made it difficult is he was still young. He was 28 years old. Right. And you knew, kind of like we were talking about with the Lundquist contract, you're going to feel it someday. You knew, hey, Marty St. Louis may help you win, but he's 38 years old at the time. Uh, he's obviously past his prime. I will say this, Evan, and, and uh, you can look back on it now because now enough time has passed that you can look back on it. It's hard to make that reaction when it first happens. If I look back on it now, five years later, the Rangers won that deal. Uh, I, I just because think of what they, he did in the postseason? I, I thought that San Louis was excellent that year. He, was, he scored well, he a was lot great. of big goals for them on that run in to the, the playoffs, cup final. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ryan Callahan was never the same player when he left the New York Rangers. He just never was. Now, the other part in it that, that really grinds Ranger fans is they also traded a first-round pick right. and Ryan Callahan. Right, right. So that was the, that's the part that really yeah, it's, you know sticks at you. But when you're as good as the Rangers were, and I say this now, like this happens now when people are talking about the Islanders should make a trade, but I don't want to give up first-round picks. If you're as good as the Rangers were that year, that first round pick, Evan, is going to be between 25 and 30. You're supposed, you know, that is not a top 10 pick that you're trading away. So you, if you're going for it all, which they were with Marty San Louis, you sometimes have to do that. Yeah, and I, and I think you, you look at that postseason run, which featured, a, of course, a couple of big game sevens, and you ask yourself, do they win? Do they make the run that they make without that trade? And I think that's where the answer becomes the positive, that 
They may not. I mean, remember, they had to win a game seven in the first round. They had to win a game seven in the second round. They actually came back from 3-1 down that year to Pittsburgh. They won a hard-fought six-game series against Montreal. So from that standpoint, yeah, I mean, you're looking at the short-term gain of it. Right, and he scored some big goals in that playoff for them. And, you know, he was on the team the following year as well. Uh, I know that that one, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute, but um, he scored some big goals in that run. I think he, he did. Had, he had eight goals in that playoff. He did he had no, the most I, goals for them in that playoff. That's what I'm saying. That's why I think it, when you try to measure if a trade works or not, you do have to look at that aspect. And of you it. brought up the game seven angle with the Rangers, you know, earlier while we, you know, when we were talking about a couple of years before, but uh, a couple of game sevens in this run, including beating a team, you know, the Penguins were better than them that year. That was a Penguin team that was really good. And they won a seventh game in Pittsburgh that year which was just a massive, massive win for them. That, that's what I'm saying, man. I mean, and that, I believe they believe the Canadians in that East final didn't carry price, get hurt. And they, I and think they, he did. And I they, think carry price got hurt going and, into that. Series. And what they had to do in the Pittsburgh series and the Montreal series and the King series, but the King series obviously didn't end with victories is they didn't have home ice advantage. They had home right. ice advantage in the first round in that Pittsburgh series. They were down three, one, they won a game five in Pittsburgh. They won a game six at the garden and they won another one goal game seven, just like they won a one goal game seven in the first round. So it's not just the Rangers won a bunch of game sevens, which we're going through. They won six of them in this decade. How many of them were these close games? Two to one against Philadelphia, yep. two to one against Pittsburgh. They're down three games to one. The clincher against Montreal. That's that sends right. They them were to the down finals. three, one of the Penguins yeah. in that series. That's right. First wow. time in the history of the franchise. That's they had amazing. come back from three, one down. And to be fair, you know, you get to that finals against the Kings. I mean, they lost up. They played well in that oh series. They lost three overtime games in that series. They lost three overtime games in that series. That's bad enough. Ugh. That's horrible. The first two games against Los Angeles in Los Angeles, they had two goal leads. Yeah, in. That's it's tough. That's why the it's got to <laughs> haunt the Ranger fan that that was their freaking year. I know they had. I think three different two-goal leads in game two. They ended up losing in double overtime, five to four. They fell behind 3-0, kind of like New Jersey did. They only won a game four to spoil it from a sweep, but that was a much closer series than a three, uh, four games to one score would, would tell you. You can make the argument, and obviously we talked about it, the Rangers and the Devils both played the Kings during the Kings' two cup uh, you know, winning years. Uh, I thought the even though the Rangers series was five and the Devils series was six, I thought the Rangers were a lot more competitive in the five game loss than the Devils were in their six game. No question. I think you're absolutely right about that. Uh, in 2014 for the Devils, they had brought in Corey Schneider. So they brought him in clearly showing you this is our plan to replace Marty Brodeur. And it would turn out to be Martin Brodeur's final season with New Jersey in 2014. They missed the playoffs. The real end of an era right there. No you doubt. Talk about an end of an era. I mean, that is... And, and not only was that, you know, the end of his playing career, there was a long time there where him and the Devils were not on the same page either. Yes. And it took a long time for him and the Devils to get back together. Yeah, and it's a shame that Brodeur played for another team. Now, I know right. it was he brief. He ended up signing with the Blues the following year. Right. It was brief. <laughs> he didn't, you know, do it very often, didn't play much. But, no. you know, it's it's one of those weird jerseys. It's like seeing Joe Namath not wearing a Jet jersey. It's right. kind of the weird <laughs> thing. I, I always like to bring up Ty Cobb actually played for a different team. Nobody remembers this. But that actually happened. So that it was really the end of an era with Marty leaving because that devil run was defined by two men. It was defined by Martin Brodeur and Lou Lamarillo. Yep. Lou would leave a year later. Marty would leave then. Those guys defined that era. They are Belichick and Brady. Right. Like I said, the Parisi thing was, I thought, the first brick out of the wall. 
Um, you know, but when Marty Brodeur and Lou Amarillo were both gone, that's when really it becomes a whole new organization. 2014 Islanders missed the playoffs. What do you remember? Is it a nondescript bad season, 2014? What, what I remember the most about that 2014 was that everybody was hyped because the Islanders were coming off of a season where they took the Penguins to six games. There was so much improvement in John Tavares and everybody else. They acquired Cal Clutterbuck in the summer in the big Nino Niederreiter. They sent him out to Minnesota. They named JT captain that year. The biggest thing about that season, Evan, was, of course, the Thomas Vanek trade. Mm. That was the, you know, that was the whole thing. That defined the entire Islander season because Garth Snow was going for it. This is early in the year. This is late October. He's coming off that season where they played the Penguins, and he's thinking, I can get better. I can keep this team and add a piece and get better. And they trade Matt Molson to Buffalo, of course. They get Thomas Vanek back. And Van- it's not that Vanek was bad. Uh, you know, Vanek and Tavares, uh, they played really well together. <laughs> they did, but things just did not go well for the Islanders. They had some injuries. Uh, things kind of spiraled out of control. And before you knew it, uh, they were flipping Thomas Vanek for peanuts to Montreal in March. So for me, Evan, that season for the Islanders, after a promising playoff return, it was like two steps back for them. After the Rangers losing the Stanley Cup final, you wonder what they have for an encore. In 2015, they put together, statistically, the greatest season in their franchise's history. Unbelievable. Which, and it's such a weird statement to say. They surpassed the 1994 New York Rangers. They're kind of a famous Ranger team. They actually had more points than the 1994 Rangers. They scored the third most goals in the NHL. They have found, uh, allowed the third fewest goals in the National Hockey League. They had a dominant season. It was Rick Nash's best season as a Ranger, which you pointed out. He actually had some pretty good years as a Ranger. Uh, Henrik Lundqvist had a tremendous season. Cam Talbot, when they asked him to play, had a tremendous season. They, they almost split the goaltending duties. And the Rangers put together their greatest regular season they've ever pulled off. The question was, could they win a cup? Because at that point, that's the bar. The bar is winning a Stanley Cup. They defeated the Pittsburgh Penguins in five. Great. They fell behind against the Washington Capitals three games to one and came back, including winning two overtime games. Again, Henrik Lundqvist showing his brilliance, winning a game seven in overtime to advance to the cup, uh, to the to the conference finals where they would meet a team they were very familiar with. Yes. They would meet the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, an incredibly talented team, a team that featured many former Rangers, Ryan Callahan, Anton Stroman, Brian Boyle. There were a lot of former Rangers on this team, and they took, up, took on Ben Bishop and the Tampa Bay Lightning, and that's where they fell short. And that's the early seeds of this Lightning team that just won the President's Trophy last year. You know, there was a lot of young players on that team that would become part of of what the lightning have turned into now here of, of, you know, kind of similar to the Rangers. They have not won the cup these past couple of years, even though they've had these great regular seasons, maybe it's because they've had so many former Rangers on their team uh, the last couple of years. That's just the way that it kind of works out. But that Ranger team, Evan was really good that year. I mean, like you said, uh, they dominated uh, 113 points. They smashed everybody in the East that year. Rick Nash had 40 plus goals. And um, once again, it's just th- to lose a game seven, which they had been so good at it. And you documented it. How many game sevens this team won over these past three or four years going into this to lose a game seven at home to the Tampa Bay lightning, a really tough pill to swallow. This is when at least I thought it was over. 
You don't get to a Stanley Cup final right. to the seventh game of the conference finals a year later. The goaltender is getting a little bit older. The core is getting a little bit older. It's not that they wouldn't make the playoffs again. They did a couple of times. But you felt, boy, that window of Lundqvist winning a championship, the Ewing syndrome of it. This was start of the beginning of the end, kind of. Yeah. You know, they, they still, well, how many we'll chances about, are you going to get? You know? Right. And, and we'll talk about it. You know, they still had another playoff year in them. A uh, couple, couple more playoff years in them after this. But um, you're right. Uh, when you go to the cup final and you get so hard, and I say this about every team every year, Evan, when you lose in the Stanley Cup finals, it is so hard to get all the way back to that point. And the Rangers had a game on their home ice, game seven in the East Finals to do it, and they just ran out of gas. What I also remember, a sports talk radio aspect of the Tampa series, is Lundqvist gave up six goals in back-to-back games. Yeah. And that's how they fell behind 2-1 in this series, and there was that talk of... Get Talbot in there! Get Talbot in there! <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I remember being a Lundqvist defender. Even Joe at times would turn on Henrik, and I'd say, look, this is a guy you got to trust. This is a guy... Guy that- never wins, bro! <laughs> he never wins! All he does is win game seven. Just like Ewing, bro! The guy never... <laughs> Never won here. And, you know, to his credit, they they lose those back-to-back games where he gives up the six goals in a row. Here are the amount of goals he gave up the rest of the series. One, two, three, and two. So he obviously bounced back right. in a big way. They lose the game seven at Madison Square Garden, which is the only game seven that they would lose during this era. They were yeah. so good during game sevens, and here they are, one win away from going to the cup finals. They won a game six in Tampa 7-3. I mean, so yeah. you're you're feeling pretty good that, ah, King Henrik will win another game seven at home, and it wasn't to be a very disappointing conclusion after the incredible regular season that they had. No, they, they had an unbelievable year, but like you said, it's kind of the... This is the beginning of the end when you talk about this Ranger group and this team that was together for all these years making deep playoff runs. This was kind of their last really deep one. Well, the Islanders made the playoffs in 2015. They sure did. They could, they took another step forward. They certainly <laughs> did. They got to a game seven in the first round. We're in all the waiting. final season at Nassau Coliseum. Yes. In a rock at Nassau. And you, and you knew it. at the, When did it come out that this was going to be the last year at Nassau? Oh, well, well, bef- uh, they announced the Barclays, I'm going to say late in uh, 2012. I mean, the, the Barclays thing happened rather quickly after the August 2011 uh, referendum did not pass. So we knew uh, this sometime for three in, years. Right. Sometime in 2012, you knew that uh, this was going to be the last year in Nassau, this 14-15 season. What were the expectations going into that cap series? Into the cap series? I thought it was a, a, a coin flip series. I really did. They both finished with the same amount of points. The Islanders lost getting home ice in that series on the last game of the season, if I remember correctly, they lost to Columbus or something yeah, like that. Columbus in a shootout. And they had an opportunity. If they would have won that game, they would have finished a point ahead of Washington. They would have had game one in the Nassau Coliseum. Instead, they had to go to Washington, which inevitably they played a game seven in Washington. I was in the building that night in DC for that game seven. And um, the Islanders played one of their worst, you know, worst games of the season that night. They could barely get a shot on goal. Yarrow Halak was unbelievable that night. And the Islanders were actually still in the game somehow. It was a one nothing game in the third period. And I had to keep watching, you know, their, their rookie 20-goal scorer, Anders Lee, walking behind me in the press box. I don't know why he did not play the sixth and seventh games against the Capitals in that series. We still don't know to this day. But um, it, that was a tough pill to swallow because, uh, you know, it, it's kind of like, you know, Evan, you had to restart the clock because you thought two years prior that that was going to be the, the Penguin series was going to be the jumping-off point where they would start to make things happen. And now it kind of felt you were back in that same spot you were in two years ago. We had a great regular season. We maybe we're back. We played a team that's in the playoffs every year and we took them to seven games. And 
uh, you know, can we now finally make that jump? And it ended up being uh, a big jump that they would take the next year. Yes, and we'll get to that. The Devils in 2015, it really is the end because in July of that year, Lou Lamarillo leaves to take the GM job of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Marty Berdur is now gone. Corey Schneider becomes the man. Ray Shiro becomes the general manager. Pete DeBoer eventually loses his job. And the Devils are now, they have gone from being this franchise, this team that was in the playoffs almost every year, to missing the postseason for the third straight year. Yeah, they, they had really gotten into a bad situation. And this is the moment, you know, the summer of 2015, where the New Jersey Devils became a completely different organization. All of the names of the past that had won championships there, whether it be front office guys, coaches, players, um, they were all gone now. And once... And, and, Lou Lamarillo, Evan, you know, that's such a mainstay. I mean, when you oh, thought yeah. New Jersey Devils, you know, like you said before, him and Marty, those are the two guys that you think of. And he says that he was going to stay on as team president. You knew that that wasn't going to last. He ends up running up to Toronto later that summer. And it's a new era with uh, John Hines comes in as the coach uh, that seed the next season. And um, it's just the turn of what's become, Evan, uh, you know, that moment. You know, you're talking about three years in a row without playoffs. By the time we get to the end of this, <laughs> it's yeah. going to be a lot of years without playoffs for the New Jersey Devils. The Rangers back up their historic year in 2015 with, you know, a good year in 2016. They had a 100-point season. Cam Talbot is now gone. Henrik Lundqvist is still pretty good. He's still playing most of the time, and he's still pretty good. Matt Zuccarello is becoming, you know, a fan favorite among Ranger fans. And they had another solid season but this time in the first round of the playoffs, they got knocked out in five by the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, I'm trying to remember. I, I think I remember them being even in this series and then the Penguins kind of blowing them out over the next yep. three games and winning this series going away. Yeah, no, that was uh, that was a really good Penguin team. Uh, I think Penguins won that year, if I'm pretty certain. Yes, 16 and 17, the Penguins won. So the Penguins would go yep. on to win the cup that they year. The cup, yep. And the Penguins were a very good team. As we ended up seeing, they ended up beating the Capitals. The Capitals had the monster year that year. The Capitals had a 120 point season and the Penguins would go on to beat the Caps in the next round. That was a really strong Penguin team. And uh, the Rangers were, you know, they were at the tail end of that group. You know, you still had the guys that were part of it, whether it be Stepan and Broussard, you know, they had started Nash with only had 15 goals that year, but you had started to see some newer faces, whether it be Kevin Hayes or, or JT Miller, you know, and Chris Kreider, you had some newer guys that had, that had become mainstays of this team, but you could tell that the field was a lot different. Well, I talk about field being different. The Islanders are playing home games at Barclays center. Yes. And that seemed, <laughs> and this turned out to be a historic year for this franchise. It was because a big year. They won a round of the playoffs for the first time since, you know, I was nine years old, right. but the move to Brooklyn, the, the, yeah. the weirdness of the arena, the fact that it's not the Nassau Coliseum. You'd agree that the overall reaction from Islander fans was not thrilled with the experience of being in Brooklyn. Yeah, you know, you could tell right away. Uh, I remember going to the first couple of games there that October. And, um, you know, the fans tried to make it uh, as best a situation as they could. But especially in the early going, Evan, and, and you know this, you know, you're in that arena a lot. You're a net fan. You go to a lot of net games at the Barclays Center and you had gone to some Islander games there. It just, you know, that Barclays Sports Entertainment Group, you know, they wanted to kind of do what they did with the Nets and they wanted to push it in a different direction. And I don't think that they knew that, that hockey was a little bit different and you couldn't do that. And they tried things like um, changing goal songs and changing in, in arena feel and, and changing a lot of things that 
uh, unfortunately didn't work out. But to be quite honest with you, Evan, it didn't matter because the Islanders were really good at home that year. Right. They had a great record at home. No, and it was... On the ice, it didn't matter. Yeah. For the fans, it mattered. They... The, here's the mistake that they made. So the mistake that they made is that the Nets needed change. They needed they, to create. They had to have change. Right. And they needed, they needed a whole new branding. Exactly. They needed a new fan base. You know, there aren't a lot of people like myself that loved them in New Jersey and were going to follow them. So they needed new fans. The Islanders did not need new fans. The Islanders did not need to create a new niche. They just needed to be the Islanders. That's what they needed to be. Right. And I think that was the mistake that they made. I went to a few games during the regular season, and yeah, I mean, it wasn't as good as Nassau Coliseum in terms of energy, but... You were in the house for the playoffs, too. I was in the house for game six. I remember six. me and you, did, you did a show at I the did. Coliseum. Was that game six? It was game six. It was game six. It, it was, was a Sunday. It was uh, a Sunday afternoon, if yep. I'm not it was mistaken. Like a, it was like a four or five o'clock start, something like that. Yeah. Me and you were at the, were at the Barclays, because I did it with you. And uh, I remember we had Chris King come over. We had, we had a we whole had bunch of time. things going on that day. And you were like, I'm sitting center ice. Me and my wife were sitting over here. We had great and, and you had, and that was, <laughs> of course, you, you got uh, you had an unbelievable game that you went I, to because you saw something, like you said, you hadn't seen since you were nine years old. Well, before that though, rem- this is the, for, for whatever reason, and trust me, it has nothing to do with uh, the guy who scored the two goals, including the game winner in, in the finale. All I could think about when I think about that series and I think about beating Florida is I think of Alan Quine. That's what I think of. I think right. Of, he had a huge overtime winner in that series. He scored the game winner in the second overtime in Florida. In Florida, that gave them the three games to two series yep. lead. Alan Quine. Alan Quine. And thinking, wow, this guy's now become sort of an Islander legend. <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> the, the, the real legend was the guy who. I mean, let's just be honest. He scored. Five goals in the six-game series. He was unbelievable. He scored the game-tying goal. They were down one nothing in game six. He scored the game-tying goal with less than a freaking minute to go. And then he scored the game-winning goal in the second overtime. And that, of course, is John Tavares. And yes, the Barclays Center was rocking as he, he scored erupted. the game winner. And, and what I remember most about that series, Evan, is there was two guys that stood out to me more than any other. And it was John Tavares, obviously. What he did in that series was unbelievable, including that night in Brooklyn for game six. But Thomas Grice was outstanding, too. Now, they, yep. had, they had signed Grice uh, in the summer before that, uh, kind of signed him as a backup. Uh, Halak was hurt a little bit that year, back and forth. And um, Grice was outstanding in that series. You, uh, he kept the Islanders alive. Do you remember, because this, and maybe this was more of a sports talk radio thing. So the Islanders finished one point behind the Rangers. Yeah. And the reward the Rangers got for finishing ahead of the Islanders well, was the first round series against Pittsburgh. I remember it While well. the Islander reward was facing a team that was first place in the Atlantic, the and Islanders, that would be the, the Islanders, Panthers. The Islanders dumped that year, if you remember. There, that, yes. There was big talk. That's what I'm getting to. The Isles dropped. Didn't they play the Flyers the last game of the year and they dropped it? Oh, did they do it on purpose? I think so. They knew, they knew what Brilliant. the situation was going to be. They, everybody wanted to play... Florida that year, uh, whatever they lost the deal their was. final two games, by the way, right? Year. So yeah. the, everybody kind of knew what was going on and Florida was going to win the Atlantic that year. So they were going to be the division leader. And now with the system that it is now the top three in each division, make it. And you have your two wild cards. The Islanders were going to be the first wild card and they were going to play the winner of the Atlantic and get into that side of the tree. And Florida was sitting there. Ranger fans knew it. Islander fans knew it. 
everybody knew it. And the Islanders lost their last two games of the season. And they ended up playing the Panthers in the first round. And it works out. They beat sure them in did, six. Cause the Islanders weren't going to beat the Penguins. That's for sure. No, you're right. <laughs> and they didn't beat the Tampa Bay lightning. They won game one in Tampa and then lost the next four. What uh, jumps out at you about that series? I remember them winning game one down in Tampa, uh, which happens a lot in these series, Evan, you know, you, you think about not just the NHL, but you know, when there's a team that's a lot better than another one and the lightning were outstanding that they were a really good team. Um, you know, you go in and sometimes you'll steal game one in their arena and then you just, it doesn't happen for you the other four games. And it's not like the Islanders were blown out in the other four games. I remember being at the Barclays, I think it was game three. They came back one, one, and they lost a, a crushing overtime game to them. And then they had a lead in game four also where they could have tied the series up to, two. I think that they just spent so much emotion and so much gas in that Florida Panther round that they just didn't have a lot left for the Tampa Bay lightning after the devils missed the playoffs again in 2016 with their brand new head coach, John Hines, who just got recently got fired in the last few weeks. They made a trade. They traded sure Adam did. Larson to Edmonton for Taylor Hall. Did you realize at the time how, how good that trade would actually turn uh, out to look, be? I thought this trade was a home run for the devils. The moment that they made it, Taylor Hall had been in Edmonton for a while. He was a number one overall pick. He had all the talent in the world, but it just wasn't working out in Edmonton. And he comes over to the Devils. I remember it a lot that summer, Evan, because all the Islander fans were mad that they didn't make the trade for Taylor Hall. They said, Adam Larson, we could have gave him Travis Hamannick. We could have gave him this. We could, you know, all the Islander fans were upset thinking that they had better pieces to deal for Taylor Hall and that the Islanders were not involved in it. But Taylor Hall comes to the Devils and uh, we know we'll get to the, the big year that he had, but that, that trade was a home run for Ray Shiro the moment that he made it. The Rangers in 2017 would meet basically their final stand. They had another good regular season. They had 102 points that year. They got off to a very good start that year. They were actually 10-3, and 14-5. and five. Uh, The last half of the year they were, I'd say the last month and a half of the year, they were very yeah. average. But they did defeat the Montreal Canadiens in the postseason. They were down two games to one. They came back, won the next three games. And then after falling behind to Ottawa 0-2, they won the next two games, but then lost the last two games, including a game six at Madison Square Garden. Did Was the feeling at the time, this is it? I mean, I know we mentioned a few years earlier was their last chance maybe to win a cup, but this turned out to be their final postseason. That's the, la- that's the last playoff game they've yes. played since. Yeah. Um, I think that it kind of started, you know, that, that year before they made a really great trade, which is still helping them today, which is the advantage ad for Broussard trade, of course, yep. uh, which is a trade that is still paying dividends to them. Uh, and you started to kind of get into that area where, uh, you know, this might be it. This team is going to retool a little bit. A couple months later in the summer is when they trade step on to Arizona. So yeah, the Rangers start to get that feel. I don't know if they thought immediately right there that, uh, you know, we're not going to be in the playoffs next year. But um, you can kind of start to get that sense that things were going to be a little bit different. Yeah, you felt like... But and you, they won around too. It's not like they, right. you know, they, they won around there. Well, it's just... Uh, the expectations were very high. I mean, think about it. This was a team that was in a conference finals. This was a team that was in a cup finals. This was a team in another conference finals. So I think losing in the second round of the playoffs seemed uh, as if it was a big disappointment as compared to what we just talked about with the Islanders. Right. It's uh, very different. No, it, it was very different uh, w- with what happened. That's for sure. No doubt about it. The Islanders followed up the incredible, uh, you, you know, excitement of winning around with a very hectic summer. Yeah. So t- tell me your thoughts about that. Well, that was the summer where a lot of their mainstays for a long time all left. Uh, you know, they all left by free agency. They let Kyle Poso. 
Matt Martin and Franz Nielsen, three guys who were such a big part of winning their first series since 1993. And they all leave as, as unrestricted free agents. And the Islanders sign Andrew Ladd to a seven-year deal, thinking that uh, kind of bringing him in would be the uh, the missing piece, a little leadership there in the locker room, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, that deal did not work out so well for them, that's for sure. As far as the other two guys leaving, you know, at the time, I don't think a lot of Islander fans liked it at all. I think when you look back now, Evan, now that you've had a few years to look at it, um, in hindsight, they were the right moves. They just were. Were you surprised that they took the step back or did you kind of expect it because of those moves? You know, I, I think that they thought they were they were going to be in the playoffs again that year, and they missed it by one point. Yeah, they were not uh, that, that far off, That was the, the year that yeah. uh, Capuano got fired right. uh, in January. So you have a coach who gets you your first playoff And they played great forever. under Doug Wade, too. They weren't on fire yeah. with Doug Wade. I mean, February and March, they were the best team in the NHL. I mean, they were winning every single night, but they ended up missing the playoffs by one point. And... Um, I, I think that, you know, missing by that one point, unfortunately set them up for the next year because they end up bringing Doug Waite back for another season. Well, they, they also that season called up this teenager. He only yeah. played two games named Matthew Barzell. Yes. He also he got made his, his first taste. First taste. He did make his debut that year. And we're going to get to the following year. What really happens with Mr. Barzell? Yes. And <laughs> Doug Waite, because it would be and Doug his... Waite, because this, that, that is probably out of this last decade the uh, craziest 12 months of the Islanders in the last decade is the next year that we're going to get to. Uh, let me quickly get to the Rangers because the following season, they kind of knew the handwriting was on the wall and they made a huge transition. They decided to make a big change. They, they told everybody to they were going to rebuild, deal. right? Remember they put the, they put the press release they out. Put the, <laughs> and, and you know, when, when you trade Ryan McDonough, you're doing it. You have to that. They traded Nash. They traded McDonough. They traded JT Miller. They traded Grabner who was having a big year for the, they, you know, the, they traded all these guys. The rebuild was in full swing uh, in uh, early 2018. And it was the right call. I, I remember when they did it, it was sort of surprising that they were being as honest as they were being, but I think in a weird way, when you have success, maybe not the ultimate success of winning a championship, but you have really good success, cup final, couple of conference finals, I think in a way it's easier to say, we're not that good, let's move on, as opposed to a franchise that doesn't have that much success. When you don't have a lot and you're not that close, I think you kind of want to hold on longer. It's hard to do that, especially in this town, Evan. You know that. It's hard to come right out and say, Listen, guys, we're rebuilding. Yeah. We're letting you know we're going to do this. Um, and that's just, in, like you say, in New York City, that's a hard thing to do. And as the Rangers were doing that, the New Jersey Devils had a crazy year. I mean, Taylor Hall put together an all-world season. One he of the won- best individual years you'll see. Yeah, and it, he certainly got the hardware for it, won the Hart Trophy. They're in the postseason for the first time since their run to the Stanley Cup final. It was that long of a layoff. I think what, what probably depresses the Devil fan about the 2018 run is not just losing in the first round in five, but that season feels like a complete anomaly right. over the last decade since 2012. That that's, that's not normal because most seasons have been 78 points and missing the playoffs. Right. You know, they were just coming off finishing dead last in the East in 16-17. In fact, they won, and they won the lottery, they, which they've done a lot lately, uh, getting Nico Heeshear in that draft. So they have a rookie who was the first overall pick. They have Taylor Hall on, having an MVP year. That year was when Corey Schneider really started to get hurt a lot, and Keith Kincaid was outstanding for them. I remember he was awesome in their run to the playoffs. 
Uh, but you lose in five to the lightning. And, and I think that that series, you know, Ev, it, it kind of had to feel like we talked about those Islander series against the Penguins or the Cavs where you thought maybe they're going to, they're about to take that step. You know, they have a player like Taylor Hall. They've got this kid, Nico. He's Maybe they're about to take a jump. Um, and as we saw last year for them, it, it did not work out. So now we get to what is a very intriguing year in Islander history. It's 2018. Doug Wade is back as the head coach. Uh, Matthew Barzell certainly bursts onto the scene. Kid has a hell of a year. And John Tavares is 27 years old, and he's about to be a free agent. Uh, coming into this season, final year of John Tavares, it seemed like the John Tavares cloud had hung over for a couple of years where you knew, here's this guy is going to get to unrestricted free agency, prime of his career. You've had him since he's a teenager. He's a true star. He's a true face of the franchise. As this season began, did you think it was possible he was going to leave in a year? No, I did not. Um, I did this a lot on the ILC podcast. We did episode after episode after episode about this. We thought there was no way he was leaving. He had given us no intention that he was going to leave. All of the things that he had said made you believe he was in for Long Island, you know, for his whole career. Um, and when that season started, that, uh, that 2017, 2018 year, you knew that it was hanging over the team. But you also knew that you, you thought that it was going to get taken care of. You, you didn't think that this was something that was going to. In fact, I mean, there was a lot of talk. People thought by, you know, in the first part of the year, man, you know, they're going to get this done probably before the end of the season. They had the big press conference about Belmont in uh, December or January of that season. And you're like, he's standing up there on the dais with everybody wearing the big C on his jersey. You're like, this guy's not going anywhere. Look at him up there. You know, he's, he's not leaving. And as the season got on, Evan, and you got to, you know, the chatter started at the deadline where, you know, it hasn't happened yet. Should they look to maybe deal him? And then the report came out that he asked not to be traded, which has been refuted back and forth a few times that ownership didn't want to trade him. Whatever the deal was, they kept him. And, um, you know, you know what happened that summer? Yeah. <laughs> but, we, but there was a lot of things. Idea. That the, before we even get to the summer, you know, that season – was like another two steps back for them because even though they had not made the playoffs the year before, they, they finished the year on fire. You know, so you have the season where they play the Caps in the playoffs. Then they have the year where they, they falter, but Wade comes in and, and they go on fire. So you're thinking they should get back to the playoffs. And they were awful. They were all bad. All year, they were a bad team. Did they have a lot of individual things that were great? I mean, Andrews Lee scored 40 goals that year. Uh, Matthew Barzell won the Calder trophy. He was the best rookie in hockey, but the team sucked. I mean, they just, they missed the playoffs to Evan by 17 points. Yeah. So they, and they were playing but six, five games every night in a weird way. Isn't that a good thing? Because if they had another quality year or even made the if, playoffs, yeah, you, snow and weight might not have been out. Yeah. Those guys are probably still there. I mean, yeah. Garth snow had been there for a very long time at this point. I know Doug Wade had in as far as head coaching experience it was only a year, but and he wasn't, he, 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 he was lucky that they went on fire. And they did. Cause he wasn't a great head coach. I mean, right. I mean, you could tell he wasn't ready for the job. He was, he was very surly with the media after the games. It was very, you know, you could tell he, he still had that uh, former player, like, I'm, you know, I'm in the game type of mentality to right. him. And he had, doesn't have that, didn't have that off the ice coach speak to him yet. And um, it was a really tough end of that year. I remember the last six weeks of that season, and it was just so brutal talking about this team. It was hard. Well, they respond by hiring Lou Lamarello and Barry Trotz after Barry oh, Trotz won a Stanley I mean, Cup. Now so. you talk about the glory, the glory month of, <laughs> Islander, of, of the Islander organization. There I was going to say, the <laughs> Rangers, on the other hand, let go of Elaine Vigneault the year that they missed the playoffs, the year that they told the world they were rebuilding, were starting over, 
And I guess they figured, not that Vigneault did a bad job at all, I mean, because think about it. If you, if you look at the Elaine Vigneault era, it did surpass John Tortorella when it, it comes to the postseason success that they had. Well, I mean, when he went to a final, he won a President's Trophy. Yeah. He did a lot more stuff than Tortorella did. That, and I guess they figured he wasn't the right coach for well, him. And, and he, you could tell he was upset that he got fired, too. I think that he wanted to stick it out through the rebuild. You could tell towards the end there with Vigneault, he was not happy how things ended with him and the Rangers. And they hired David Quinn, who, you know, I guess they figured was just the better guy for a situation like this. With young players coming from the college hockey ranks, um, it, it, you, they figured that he would be a guy who would be better for that. And he is still the coach of the Rangers right now, of course, as we know. And, and I like a lot of things, Evan, that I see in David Quinn. Uh, I think that David Quinn is the type of guy that this Ranger team can continue to build around. I think he's good with young players. I like the way he treats the vets. Everybody is, is the same on the same plane with David Quinn. You know what I mean? And um, I, I think he's a guy that the Rangers should definitely hold on to going forward. 2019 was all about the Islanders, though. The Devils missed the playoffs. The Rangers are obviously in their but, but, rebuild. But before you just throw the Devils to the side here, because they were coming off that year where Hall wins the MVP. Sure. And, and The expectations were certainly and, high. And they go backwards again. The goaltending was horrific. Hall was hurt all year. He only played 33 games. They were just awful again, but they get lucky again and they win the lottery again. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I guess from that aspect, we'll see what that turns into because the, the latter part of this decade going into the next decade has certainly not gotten off to a great start, right. even though they went out and made some pretty aggressive moves, hoping that they would be a competitor this year. Right? No, they, they did. And, um, they made a lot of aggressive moves. The PK Subban move right now has not worked out at all for them. They're starting to get on them. Uh, and you, you know, this Devin, I mean, the devils don't get, you know, when you rank all the teams in town in terms of attention, you'd probably put the devils at the bottom. You know, it's just, it's just the way that it is. And getting a guy like PK Subban last summer, even that was a little under the radar. And he is such a, uh, you know, uh, an outgoing figure. And you know what's so good killing charity. Them? Here's what's killing the Devils well, right now. First of all, they haven't been good in a while. And second right. of all, the Islanders' success is right. actually hurting them. Which because, really hurts them. Because yeah. when, when one of those two teams is so much better than the other, the other one gets buried even more. Yeah, so, so it's hard. When you've got two teams, the Rangers are always going to be the most popular. So no you've question. got the Rangers there as this big behemoth, and now you have the Islanders having great success. I think that makes the Devils' attention well, even more It also difficult. doesn't help that the first time, you know, you know, the first story that gets written about him in the New York Post this year is about how P.K. Subban shouldn't be, go, you know, is is out doing too many things off yes, the ice. That you know, that, that's, that's not a good start And to be either. fair, the guy doesn't have a point in 18 games. Right. So, you know, right. it's just, it, it, this season has really gotten ugly. John Hines has already been fired, as we know. Uh, this happened about, what was it, a week, well, 10 days it, ago, Hines gets the ax. The decade's ending with not much hope for the next one. Let's be no, honest. Despite no. winning the lottery, despite having some good young talent, there's questions about the coaching staff, certainly. Well, there's they, certainly <laughs> questions about the future of Taylor Hall. Well, we know that's that. That's the biggest thing. And, and as we enter uh, 2020, coming up here at the second half of the season for the Devils. It's not about making the playoffs. It's not about anything like that this season. It is about the future because you just saw across town what the Islanders did with John Tavares two years ago. They didn't trade him. They lost him for nothing. You need to find out if Taylor Hall wants to be a New Jersey Devil, because Devin, I know you, you know, I know you're not into the hockey every night, but you've seen this guy talk. I'm pretty sure he sure doesn't give you any indication that he's not going to go test free agency. No, it's a little bit different than JT. Oh, it actually. is different. It is a lot different than <laughs> yeah. JT because this guy is basically telling you, 
I, I'm going to listen to offers. Well, the difference, <laughs> what he's I think the you. difference is they're going to trade him. Right. That well, is the difference. I, I, it seems that way. It, it seems like he, the Devils are going to make that move. The Islanders closed 2019 with the best year of the decade that they oh, had. Best year of the decade. Best uh, year in 30 years. It does feel that way. <laughs> I mean, the, no, it was. Everything. Wow. Evan, it regular. literally was their best regular season in 30 years. They had home ice, Evan, for the first time since the late 80s. No, I'm with <laughs> it you. It was just. And uh, then even postseason success by sweeping the Pittsburgh Penguins they, Swept the, the Pittsburgh round. Penguins. They had a Vesna finalist. Their coach won the Jack Adams. They, 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 they won the Jennings, Leonard, and Grice. For the, they gave up the least amount of goals in the NHL. And they, they, they started pouring the concrete in their new arena, Evan. Can you think of a better 12 months than the New York Islanders have had right it's now? It's tough to find one. And that's why there's a lot of optimism <laughs> going into the next they decade. They won the end of the decade, all right? You could say the Rangers, you know, it's, it's weird because when you look at who won the decade, right, out of the three local teams, who won the decade? It's clearly the Rangers oh, when yeah, you talk yeah, about yeah. on-ice performance. Um, but for the last year and a half, too, the Islanders at least chipped in at the end. They won... <laughs> They won the back half of it. That's for sure. It's tough because I was talking about this with the whole Met Yankee thing. I mean, clearly the Yankees won the decade, but the Mets went to a world series and the yeah. Yankees didn't. That's, how weird is that? I know. And, the, I and know. the devils went to a Stanley cup final, right. but, that's, they, but that's that was why, their, there was their only good year in the entire decade. You're right. But that's why like, look, the Rangers clearly were the team of the decade in this right. town, but I mean, I would say the Devils over the Islanders because of that. The I mean, they went to a freaking the cup had, final. The Islanders had more dr- had the most drama of the. They decade definitely did yes. between Tavares and the arena and everything else. Well, you that's know what? Going they, on. You know what the Devils had? The Devils had cool drama early in the decade. I mean, right. when you look at the Kovalchuk situation, Marty Brodeur's Zach career Parisi. coming, Zach Parisi. But it feels like the Devils over the last four or five years has been, been kind of boring in a way. They've been very boring, and they had Evan. They had a player win the heart trophy yeah. and nobody cared. No, you're right. They had a player win the MVP and nobody cared. It's, he had an he, amazing season. I, I've asked the player of the decade. So when we did the Knicks, the answer is Carmelo Anthony with right. the Nets. My answer was Brooke Lopez, just based on his performance uh, with the Yankees. The, believe it or not, the answer has been CC Sabathia, which makes a lot of sense. He was I there agree. the entire decade with the Mets. It's easy. It's Jacob DeGrom. The guys won two Cy Young's. I think with the Rangers... Rangers is easy. Yeah, we're not going to waste our time at Henrik Lundqvist. Honestly, the Islanders is easy, too. Well, I was going to say, John, it is... John Tavares. It is easy, it, it, right. It, it's, it's John Tavares. I right, mean, okay. Uh, he played in... Only, this past season was the only one he didn't play for the team. It's clearly him. Um, he, he's clearly the Islanders player of the decade. It's just... It's sucks. not even close. It sucks saying well, it's it, him, it but... It sucks because everybody hates him now. Right. But he was but he the is. Islanders player of the decade. It, so it's just that simple. The, the devil one is hard. See, the, the one I come up with for the Devils, and I'm not telling you this guy is a great player because he's not, but he's been there the entire decade as Travis Ajax. I, I wouldn't have a problem with that. And he's had good years because, yeah. the, you know, the thing is, is that uh, Hall obviously won the, he had the best individual sure. season. There's, there's just no doubt about it. Winning an MVP, what he did in the 17, uh, 18 year, that is the best season that a devil had over this past decade. But when you have to look at the whole book, the 10 to 10, um, you, you, you might have to go. He's been with the team the whole entire and, time. Andy Green's been with the team the whole decade, too, right. by the You way. know, they have a they couple guys, have and, a couple. He's, and he's been their captain for the past few years now. You know, the, the, they have some guys who have done that. So I wouldn't have a problem if you said Zajac, because he's been with the team the entire decade. Yeah. How could you not say it's him? Well, I find that one more interesting, because when it's easy, like John Tavares and Henrik Lundqvist, well, it's Those like, are too easy. The Ranger, and the, the Ranger and the Islander ones are, well, and, are too easy. And, and to this point, I think Lundqvist is the athlete of the decade in this town. I don't know who well, you would argue over him. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't have a problem with that either. I really wouldn't. When I you mean, look who, at the where, games, where are you going to go? Well, I think the guy you would argue is Eli because of the Super Bowl, but I, I would 
counter by saying Henrik Lundqvist was better at his job than Eli Manning was at his. He was be- he was a be- he was right. a tie. He guy won a Vezina. That's like saying Eli won an MVP. Eli didn't yeah. win an MVP. He won a yeah, championship. Well, he's, he's got two Super Bowl MVPs. I get well, only but one this, in this decade. Only right. one in this decade. And, and that's that's significant. Don't get right. me wrong. He's the guy you can argue. And I could try to argue DeGrom because of the Cy Youngs, but again, he came up in 14. It's not a full decade. So I think Lundquist, uh, I think he has well, to get it. I, I think it, I'm with you. I, I have no problem with that at all. And I think that coming into this new decade, it's it's pretty interesting because I think you you know, we have a lot of guys who throughout this decade are, are they're gone now or, or who are the faces of this town, you could say, in this decade, whether it's Henrik Lundqvist or Eli Manning. And I'm sure there's a couple of other guys that we can throw into that mix. And they're all kind of going out now, you know. But there's yep. a lot of guys, Evan, who could be big faces of this. When we do this 10 years from now, Evan, you think about some of the guys that are just starting in this town that maybe could be in that conversation, whether it's, uh, you know, Sam Darnold and, and Daniel Jones and Matthew Barzell and, and the Rangers have so many talented young Jack players. Jack Hughes with New Jack Jersey. Hughes and Kako. You know, yep. Kako is such a, such a good player. Um, there's a lot of really young talent on most of the franchises here, here in town right now. So Great potential, but, but you know what? Sometimes you never know because a couple of years ago, two of those young, talented guys were Kristaps Porzingis and Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah, and, 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 and they're Harvey. gone just as fast. Yes. And, they're, and they're gone just as fast. And they're and, gone and quickly. It is, it is, it is uh, Matt Harvey, Odell Beckham, Kristaps Porzingis. It is, uh, it is wild. That, yes. that's, it's true. It, it could change fast, but at least right now on the surface, Evan, it looks like you might have some guys who are going to be... Uh, you know, in the running for, for the talk of the town, you know? No doubt. Thank you, Carver. I appreciate it. It's been Evan, fun. had a lot of fun. Love it. And uh, start watching a little more hockey. We're getting into January almost, okay? That, that's, my, that's my cue. That's when I start <laughs> watching. Keep listening to the Isle Seat, too, all right? You got the it. Isle Seat Podcast. Isle Seat Podcast with Mike Carver. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this version, the NHL version. We have the Jet Giant version coming up next week. Uh, the Decade in Review on the Evan Roberts Podcast.